0: really good to be here and to bring God's word to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to look at your scripture. And uh, we pray today that you'd give us open hearts to hear it and understand it and to hear what it is that you are saying to us through it today. Amen. Well, that was quite a long reading because we're starting a new series today in the book of 2 Corinthians. And the plan is that we're starting it today and we're going to read it all the way through together and look at it together throughout this term. We're going to work through it passage by passage. And the plan is, with a couple of free other things going on along the way, we should make it to the end of 2 Corinthians by the end of July. When we plan our Sunday message series, sometimes they are um, thematic, where we look at themes and topics together, and at other times we work our way through books of the bible and we try to get a balance of both of those things throughout the course of the year and here we are in two corinthians which i'm really really looking forward to So what I want to do today is to give you a little bit of context about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Think about where it sits before looking in a bit more detail, particularly at the first part of that very long opening chapter that we've heard read to us. Now, we've called the whole series Treasure in Clay, which refers to a verse in a little bit later in the book in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, where Paul says we have this treasure and by treasure, he means the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. God has put this amazing thing, his word, his gospel, his truth, in the most common and fragile of vessels, which is us as people. And the themes of our weakness and God's strength in this clay vessel that is us of suffering and of difficulty and the way that Paul views all of all of these struggles through the lens of the gospel are big themes throughout the letter. And today's message introduces us to some of these ideas and it's called the God of all comfort, which are Paul's words from this opening chapter where he says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, The father of compassion and the god of all comfort. Incredible words about the god that we love and try to serve. An article by Huffington Post UK, um, a popular news and opinion site, talks about the British love of comfort food. Nobody comfort eats like the British. This article says, and it lists a whole bunch of articles of, uh, of of foodstuffs that are considered to be comfort foods. Now, I know that CBC is very discerning, so I'd be interested in your take on these. This is four of them I have picked out, and I wonder what you would make of these: uh, mashed potato, cheese on toast, a bacon sandwich, or a slice of chocolate cake. If you were feeling hungry and miserable and you needed cheering up which would you go for who would who would go for mash with something any any takers for a a, a smattering of mashed potatoes uh, what about cheese on toast quite a popular quite popular okay what about a bacon sandwich oh oh and a chocolate cake i think the chocolate cake just about has it with a Bacon sandwich and cheese on toast, time for second place, and mashed potato a disappointing last. (laughs) The Cambridge Dictionary defines comfort as this, a pleasant feeling of being relaxed and free from pain. Now, it's actually a really interesting concept that somehow eating certain foods will alleviate sadness and pain, and we know that's not the case, and we might do it, and if it does help, we know that it's momentary, But it's also interesting that this definition of comfort is actually not what our Bibles would say that comfort is. When the God of all comfort comforts us in our troubles, what's happening? God is not suggesting eating cheese on toast will make a difference. But he's also not promising a pleasant feeling of being relaxed and free from pain. And we're going to think together about what it means for our God to be the God of all comfort. So Paul started this community in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. You can read about that if you'd like to in Acts chapters 18 and 19. Uh, Paul's established his little church, and he's got a report that things weren't going well in the church. And so he writes one Corinthians trying to correct some of the problems that were going on in Corinth, and he followed that up with a visit. We hear about a painful visit in this chapter. Now, many of the Corinthians had come back into unity and, and in good heart with one another and with Paul, but it appears that some in the church had rejected his teaching and were rebelling against his authority. They had a very different idea of what leadership looked like, and they basically rejected Paul as a leader. Paul was poor, he earned a, just a meagre living, he was under persecution, and he wasn't um, an impressive public speaker. They were ashamed of him and rejected his leadership. So this letter, as you might have picked up from the way Anne read that for us so helpfully, has got quite a sorrowful tone about it. Paul wears his heart on his sleeve in his writing, depending on the context and the circumstances of the churches he was writing into. If in Galatians, he is angry and irritated. If in Philippians, he is joyful. In 2 Corinthians, he is sorrowful. And is aware of recent wounds. Now, unlike 1 Corinthians, this letter's got not a whole lot to say on moral or theological issues. 1 Corinthians is full of those. This focus here, first of all, the first seven chapters or so, Paul talks about reconciliation and forgiveness. He wants to reach out in love and for unity for the church. Paul then spends a bit of time talking about generosity and we'll understand why when we get there. And Paul also gives a robust defence of his apostleship and his message. He defends himself against those who are contradicting his understanding of Christian leadership. So when we start with this wonderful phrase, the God of all comfort, as always with the Bible, we've got to have the context in mind. It's easy to lift it out, stick it on a fridge magnet. It makes a good fridge magnet. But the context helps us to understand Paul's heart. His wounds are raw. Uh, This is very real and live for him. And what he does, before we pick out, isn't it amazing we have a God of all comfort? What he does is starts by honestly putting... All of his troubles out there on the table. What is it that Paul says about God's comfort that was important for him and that can help us understand our own troubles and our own wounds as we try to live as disciples of Jesus? As I've said, we're going to focus on the first section, which is so rich. The second half is about Paul's change of plans. And him explaining himself there. There's lots of interesting stuff there, actually. I know many of you are involved in one of our small groups, and our small groups, um, lots of them, are looking at 2 Corinthians, and you can perhaps delve into the second half too if you would like to. So, looking at this first section, I want to say two things about the God of all comfort that Paul points to in the first section, and both thoughts weave through the first 11 verses. And the first thing is about the paradox of God's comfort. The paradox. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, verse three, if you're following in your Bibles, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So we share, Paul says, in the experience of, of suffering. We suffer and because of that, Comfort abounds. And then also in verse 8, Paul lays out in really strong language the hardships he's been facing. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we have despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Strong language, Paul says, we despaired of life itself, but through that suffering found a reliance on this God who comforts. A paradox is a statement that sounds contradictory, but actually both parts of it can contain a possible truth. So two things that seem contradictory, but both can in some ways be true. So for example, I might go shopping I might buy, I don't know, I might buy a new outfit and I spend £40 on it, but there was a sale on. So when I come home and Kevin says to me, how was your day? I can say, you wouldn't believe that I've saved us money today because it would have been £60. There's a paradox here. I have spent money and I have saved money. Both can be true. And actually, our Bibles are full of paradoxes if you look at them. For example, Jesus says, to gain your life, you've got to lose it. It's a paradoxical statement, if ever there was one. The Bible suggests that we need to choose to follow Jesus, whilst also saying that Jesus chose me. One God, three persons. Paradoxes. And the paradox that Paul is showing here in his writing is that rather than relieving pain, as the dictionary definition would suggest, God's comfort enables us to sit in our weakness and find in that a place of strength. We share in the suffering like Jesus, and somehow in that we find comfort. In our troubles, we find comfort from God. The paradox is about strength in the weak place. And we encounter it again and again through the book, finding its climax in uh, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul famously says, when I am weak, then I am strong. What a paradox. When I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. He says, I delight in those things, for when I am weak, then I am strong. paradoxical statement that God's comfort speaks into. Now don't forget our context. Paul's authority and his leadership is in question. He's been challenged as a leader. Those opposing him believed, just as actually many people do today, that leaders need to be impressive and have forceful, strong personalities. The ancient Greeks were characterised by their admiration for success. The cult of the hero was really, really strong. And people were probably using Paul's weaknesses against him as evidence. Why should we, why should we submit to his authority? Look at the kind of leader he is, look at the kind of person he is, look how weak he is. And therefore, wouldn't Paul want to start his letter by proving himself as being strong and capable to defend himself? And actually, that's not what he does. He lays this paradox down and he paves the way for a train of thought that we're going to pick up again and again through this letter that weakness is strength for the Christian. Paul was content to project an image of weakness and God's comfort enables us to sit with and own our own weakness. Our world is one that is geared up for strength. It is looking strength. Strength is positive and weakness is negative. And actually, you don't have to think very hard to see that all over the place, where the language of strength is used. Football teams talk about having a strong squad. If you've got a strong squad, you're more likely to win. Nations bargain with each other from a position of economic strength. Lawyers talk about having a strong case in court which will win. Parents talk about wanting their children to grow up to be strong and healthy. Businesses want strong balance sheets, strong products are more likely to succeed. Have you had that um, experience in an interview situation, maybe, or maybe on an application form when it says, you know, list your your strengths? It's not easy, is it? But um, somehow you manage to find it within yourself to reel off a whole list of all these amazing strengths about yourself and what you're good at. And then you're asked what your weaknesses are. And what you do is you try to think of the least weak weakness that you possibly can that actually is secretly a strength, but you make it sound like a weakness so that they think positively of you. You've done that, right? So you say things like, um, oh, I um, yes, I've I've got the tendency to work far too hard and put far too many (laughs) hours in. I'm a a, a perfectionist and I won't rest until things are done really, really excellently. Isn't that terrible? It feels like a disaster in an interview to tell people your real weaknesses because you wouldn't get the job. Now, all of this means... Strength is synonymous with success and weakness is bad. And then we get to this biblical concept that says in the Christian faith, weakness is actually strength. In our weakness, God's strength is seen. And the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, gives us comfort in that place. We are strengthened in our weakness by the God of all comforts. God's comfort in our times of trouble redefines our understanding of strength. It's not about freedom from pain and feeling relaxed whilst eating cheese on toast. It is the God of all comfort redefining our concept of strength, enabling us to lay out and sit in our weaknesses and know him in that. That is a paradox and it's glorious. And it's countercultural and it's so important because actually we need to speak a different narrative. Where in this upside-down kingdom, the lost, the lost, and the least, the, the weak have priority. Where those who feel on the outside are the ones that are welcomed in. Where we can be vulnerable in our own troubles and struggles because we follow a crucified Saviour who calls us to take up our cross and follow him where real strength is not about cult hero status, but in the quiet sacrificial service, and where in our weak places, we can know and testify to the father of compassion giving us his comfort. May the God of all comfort by his spirit be tangible for us in this place. The paradox of God's comfort weaves through these 11 verses. And so does the second thought, the domino effects of God's comfort. Again, verse 3 praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Down to verse 6 if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation, for your comfort. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort, Paul says. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul repeats the word comfort in one form or another 10 times in these five verses. And as we receive the comfort of God in the midst of our own troubles, that is passed on, a knock on effect to others and others and others. I describe it as being pipe, not bucket. God doesn't pour his comfort into us like a bucket for it to sit there, filling up, up and up and up for our own benefit and help. It's given to us in a pipe to flow through us to others. What we have received, we are to pass on to others. God is the father of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we comfort others with the comfort that they've received, who then, I guess, comfort others and others. Verse 6, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. It was really great to hear from Maria about the work of Heart earlier um, and, and our partnership in that significant ministry. And of course, that's a brilliant example of this, isn't it? It's the gospel in action. It is the God of all comfort in action. People volunteer and uh, serve and get alongside because they believe that they have received blessings from God and help from God and want to pass that out to others. It's not, I am strong and you are weak. It's, aren't we all weak? Don't we all need the goodness of God? I've received it and I want to pass it on to you with the hope that you might pass it on to others. And it's, and it's the paradox of God's comfort. when we When we serve others... It might be something like heart. It might be, in our own context, our our neighbours or our our family. We we do it for these two reasons, this domino effect and the paradox effect. We all know the difference that it makes to have people who truly are alongside and understand what we are going through. There is nothing more helpful than having people who get it and have experienced it. What a privilege it is to be part of passing on the comfort God has given to others. The word that Paul uses here is multifaceted, and uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, says this of the word. It says, it can mean to call someone to come near, to make a strong appeal, to treat in an inviting or friendly way. The whole idea of the word is that one person is being with another, speaking words which change their mood and situation. The word Paul uses here over and over again does more than that. It meets people where they are and brings them right to the point where they are strong enough to see new hope, new possibilities, new ways forward. This is the comfort of God. The paradox of God's comfort is that even in spite of our troubles that that might not go away actually, he wants to give strength in our weakness bringing new hope and new ways forward and the domino effect of God's comfort which is that what we experience we are to pass on what is true of Jesus becomes true of his people the God of all comfort comforts us and we become people of all comfort as we pass that on Amen. We've got a little bit of time today before we need to to finish. And perhaps the band might as have to come up. In fact, I would like to invite you to stand. And I'd just like us just to wait and respond. Let's stand if you can to what God is saying. And uh, we've got a little bit of worship now just to help us with this, to reflect on the, the Father of compassion and the God of all Comfort. So just as we approach some more worship and response, let's just settle our hearts and minds and open our hearts up to what God might want to say to us.